I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supper with us tonight, what do you say? Welcome to another episode of The Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and just remind Flo about that blue belt, huh? <laughs> and my name is Colin Drucker, and Demi, why you do this to me? <laughs> Which is like... <laughs> I, I knew I had to save that one for <laughs> you. you. I couldn't take it Thank selfishly you. enough. You. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to. I know. It was that cookie on the tray that you knew I needed to have, and you took yes. the, the ginger snaps instead. Thank you. I and, just... and my... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. no. Go ahead. I've said enough. <laughs> my one-liner right there is such a deep cut, too, but it just made me laugh. I don't know why. Like, she was talking to the director, and she was like, eh, just remind Flo about that blue belt, huh? The way she said it. I mean, Ellen Burstyn, we're going to get into it, of course. But here's one thing. I have so many, um, like... I don't know what you would call them, confessions or realizations during this movie. Mm -hmm. I think last week I was like, yeah, I've seen The Exorcist. I have not seen The Exorcist. There is none of this that I have seen, minus probably the last 20 minutes, I think. So anything before that was totally new for me. And I will confess, I had no idea what that quote meant before this movie. I know you said it a lot, Mm -hmm. and I never questioned it. And I was like, oh, my God. It's this movie. Yeah. It's Demi. It's Demi. Why you do this to me? I mean, probably top five favorite movie quotes. I just, I, it's so dark, but there's just something about like, oh, and you know, and anytime someone does something that I don't like, particularly Marco, it's like, oh, Demi, why you do this to me? You know, it just, <laughs> yes. it feels right. No, of course, for anyone who, you know, plays Russian roulette when it comes to podcasts, if you close your eyes, eyes and hit play, that's fine. I'm just here to catch you up that you are listening to our episode today about The Exorcist featuring a Best Supporting Actress nomination that I'm very interested to talk about uh, for Linda Blair and perhaps also Mercedes McCambridge uh, and a Best Actress nomination for uh, alumni, alumni of the pod, Ellen Burstyn. So mm. uh, you've already started to answer my first question. Do you... Did you think there was, was there another movie you saw that you thought was The Exorcist and now you suddenly realized, oh no, that was, you know, uh, hot to trot with the voice of John Candy as a horse? (laughs) I have, I don't know. I think maybe what I said last week is that I had seen bits and pieces. Maybe that's what I said. Mm -hmm. I don't know at this point too. But um, yeah, a lot of like, I didn't know that it started out in the Middle East, that whole like first segment going into... Yeah, so it was all new, all of it. Mm. Like, I knew that, I guess, really, when I saw it when I was younger, which was, you know, through my fingers over my face, you know, just kind of peeking through because I was terrified, was just only, like, after the possession, I would say. Um, And 
the the final like exorcism like the last 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. it so uh but it was great because it was like walking into a new movie and i was like holy shit ellen burstyn is great in this Mm -hmm. and it was just really nice to see her because really have we last picture show and then um pieces of a woman pieces of a woman those are the only two movies we've talked i think there might be another i believe if you want to double check but i think it's last picture show and then i actually just recently rewatched that monologue and actually most of that 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 car monologue yeah the no uh, the in the um in the house when they're all at Ellen Burson's house for like lunch. Oh, and then gosh, it eventually yes, yes, like yes. ends with the two of them in the dining room. And that, cause I just wanted to kind of remind myself of like, okay, let's just have like a little Ellen Burstyn sandwich, you know, we'll use like a more yes. recent slice on the top and then I'll finish with an older slice on the bottom. And yes. it was, you know, I'll say this, this, this is partially about Ellen, but just in general, I had forgotten. Cause when I think of pieces of a woman, I think of that like 20 minute, birthing sequence you know yeah um, yes and i and i misquote the line i'm facing things she doesn't say that she says i'm facing it i am facing it or something like that anyway <laughs> i'm facing roar. things sounds better i don't mean to tell anybody how to say their lines but yes um, yes but that whole sequence do you remember there's a whole sequence when they're at ellen burson's house and it's like a six minute uninterrupted uninter- cut Yes, I, I when I, you said the monologue in the dining room, I thought you were talking about Last Picture Show, and I was like, oh, I don't remember. I think there was like some sort of scene of Ellen in her car, but I didn't really remember a monologue, so I was, I was in a different movie, I different see. time. That's but okay. now I remember. Now you of remember. course, yes. of course, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Um. And so I, yeah, I rewatched scene. that just to kind of remind myself, and it that sequence is worth rewatching. It's really. That may be a movie that I may go back and say, you know what, Vanessa Kirby, I think she was maybe a little slightly partially potentially robbed. I don't know. Yes. Uh, when you Oh, wait, she was. Oh, like robbed as in like a win. As in from a win. Like I really, I yeah. I feel like she, she should have she been it. considered a stronger contender. When you rewatch that movie, like the work that she does. The courtroom scene. Yeah. It's is ugh. the moment. Yeah. Yes. So that was my first moment, you know, that I just wanted to mention. Um, Ellen is phenomenal in that monologue. Like it, what I loved about that as well is because the camera is just focused on her. And I remember the first time I saw that thinking, oh my God, they're not pulling away. They're not cutting away. Yeah. This is so amazing. You know, and I mean, it was it was practically like watching porn. Like I was just like, I need to, you know, I need to cool down, but, uh, amazing. Just, uh, what that, what Ellen Burson can do. So that was a nice kind of frame, like mind frame to go into the exorcist, which is of course, one of the few horror movies to have a best actress and best supporting actress Oscar nomination. And, I yeah, I think Ellen Burstyn fully deserved the nomination for the actresses. Yes. She's great in it. I one hundred percent agree. I love that we're talking about it, if not for the sake of, you know, nominating her for best mother next year uh-huh. at the Westins, best talking through tears, uh-huh. maybe a best going to a twenty-seven. Even I mean, it is for all intents and purposes like it is explosive and nuanced and layered and she really gets to show show us everything she can do in this movie yeah i i for a long time i don't know why i always thought of the exorcist and poltergeist as kind of these sister movies and i think i just kind of conflated the two in my head of like 
both of them involve something, you know, quote unquote supernatural. Both of them involve imperiled daughters. You know, both of them are kind of these big, I don't want to say prestige pictures, but well-known horror movies of, of a certain time. Uh, and I think, you know, the other connection is Joe Beth Williams as Diane and Ellen Burstyn as Chris. Like there's just these, these mothers who are just, being put through like the mother's nightmare of quote unquote losing their child. And then this kind of world of, you know, and then this kind of stuff that they can't even explain, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. In poltergeist, there's the grief of like, I just want my little girl back. But then there's like, Oh, she's in the, she's in the in between of life and death. And there's a demon after her. Like there's having to navigate that space. You know what I mean? And I feel like Chris is going through a similar journey here of like, so what would you do if someone was possessed? Like, well, let's navigate those waters. And that's, that's kind of fascinating to watch yeah. a mother navigate, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you're dead on. I was, I was going to maybe include like, just because we just talked about it, uh, Carrie, but that's a different type of mother completely. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the same, you know, maybe the next neighborhood over, but again, right. another pair of like best actress, best supporting actress nominees. But yeah, I mean, she, there's so many times during this movie where it's like, and you get to see her eventually like flip out on all those doctors too. But I'm like, you can't ex like that whole, what did they kept saying? It was like the frontal lobe. That should have been. Oh my quote. yeah. I, yeah. Think it, I think it might be the frontal lobe. Colin. Yeah. The lesion <laughs> on the frontal lobe. And yeah, eventually she's like, Oh, enough with the frontal lobe. Like she's just over Fuck it. Frontal lobe. Yeah. yeah. That was actually something. Cause I, I had not seen the exorcist in a while. And I feel like the first time I ever saw it was maybe back in high school. And I don't think I liked it. I, I think it just, I was like, I don't get it. Like I actually, um, I don't think I actually know that because back in the day and I'll never, I'll, you know, I'll never reveal the, the username, but I, <laughs> I have a series of reviews on IMDb. Um, that date back wow. over 20 years. Like I have ones from like 1999 and they are a cringe fest in a half. I, absolutely a cringe fest. But I know that one of the movies I wrote a review of in high school on IMDb was The Exorcist. And I was just like, I don't get it. I'm sorry. I just don't get it. Like I just wasn't feeling it, you know? Sure. And, you're entitled to what you were feeling. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think maybe that always stuck with me. And so while well, I've seen, I guess I've seen it in full at least once or twice since then, I feel like this time around was the first time I maybe appreciated the full scope of The Exorcist and that it is this kind of, like the, the journey of it. Like I always just think of it as like, Reagan barfing up pea soup, but there's this whole yes. journey of like, she's acting strange and going through like all of these steps to try to diagnose it from like medical to psychological to eventually spiritual. And I don't think, I just I don't, don't think I've ever appreciated like the, the pieces of the puzzle of the exorcist. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I feel the same just because this is, I'm looking at this whole movie or at least like, you know, three fourths of it through uh, like the first time through the lens of watching it for the first time. So it's, I, I'm kind of glad that I'm watching it now as like a, you know, an adult uh, and th that can appreciate the acting and the story, like you said, that's also going on like beneath the surface, I guess, of just like you were saying about Joe Beth Williams, how far a mother will go 
to save her daughter mm-hmm. and to you know protect in quotes her daughter as well too and um it's really great that she's an actress because she can just like do whatever she you know she doesn't have a schedule but i also love that she's a single mother i think that yeah. there's something about that that's more on the long along the lines of carrie you know, a little bit mm-hmm. it's like the venn diagram of all these movies um but yeah i i think that there's a lot to a lot beneath the surface to discuss as well yeah i mean that's a fun discussion of like the single moms of horror movies the best supporting single moms you know and um because i think of tony collette in the sixth sense you know i yeah yeah. Um, i mean she's not a single mom but i feel like nancy kelly in the bad seat has to navigate all of this as if she's a a single mother uh, yeah, it's, yes, I mean, yes. and that was another one I was thinking of, of like in terms of double nominees for best supporting actress and best actress was the bad seed. And there's another example of the extent a mother will go for her child, but in a much yes. different direction. And I love that like the exorcist Carrie and the bad seed all have double nominations for mother and daughter in a horror movie. Yes. I, just, I just think that's so great. Yeah, that's like a whole, I think that's really our episode there, a bonus episode one day of just, yeah, talking about that, because I love that dynamic. I love when both of those, both categories are at play. Yeah, yeah, generational nominees, maybe that's what we call it, I don't know, or something. Um, But in any event, yeah, I, now here's my question as we dive into The Exorcist, which I don't think anyone needs an a recap of, I think everybody knows that it's about, you know, Reagan played by Linda Blair, you know, being possessed by the devil. And for a long time, I didn't understand how this all happened. Like my memory was like, okay, something happens in Iraq and then we're in Georgetown. And then the next thing you know, she's pissing on the living room carpet. So like, don't know how they all connect, but maybe someone else does. And I, I think I understand now that it, you know, that Ouija board was, was, you know, the act one gun. But my question to you is people see this as, you know, the scariest horror movie ever. And you of course Mm. are, well, I always, I I think you don't like horror movies, but then, you know, then you're, then you're just, you know, drooling over the squid game. And I'm like, this man, (laughs) this man can handle a horror movie. So my question to you is how scary did you find this experience, especially most of it being new? Um, I was scared when I watched it. Um, I think if I'm really, I'm, you know, each week, you know, throughout this like month of October, I'm kind of coming to terms with what actually does scare me. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it might be sound more than anything. I think it's jump scares and sound because there were many times, I think, I don't know who walked in the house during this, like not my house, uh, like the, the, the in the movie. Uh-huh. And like maybe the, the the older priest finally showed up and they were just like, hello, how are you? And then all of a sudden it was like, from upstairs. Mm-hmm. And I like flew across the room. I was not ready for it. I had like, I, I was turning the volume up and down several times. If I could turn, mm-hmm. if I could go to a movie theater and just like have headphones and turn it down whenever I wanted to, I'd still be scared. But it is definitely sound related. I was scared. I think... Th- a cheap shot they could have done, and I really think they only took advantage advantage of it one time too. Was like they were getting so close to her. I was like, "Don't touch her! What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. It's like, like trusting her too much. And there's only one time where she caught, sort of like you know smacked the back of uh, you know Damien. Is that his name, Damien? The father? Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the young priest, Father Karras. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Father Karras. But um, 
yeah, I, this is all to say that, like, I was pretty amped up by this because I did not like the sounds that she was making. That mm. creeped me out more than any visual like the visuals are fine and it's kind of funny because it's like the 70s and you know it's you know pea soup and all that stuff too but still pretty frightening yeah i i totally agree with you i think the sound design and i think they won an oscar for sound they did that makes sense i think is what's the most unsettling because i would say that the exorcist is far more unsettling than i think it's outright scary i actually think that the more they show, the less I was scared. But the more that it was just what you heard, I think the more unnerving it got. Um, yes. I think that brings us to, you know, let's just talk about it now because we're the best supporting podcast. I have very strong feelings about this, which, you know, is like the gayest thing ever. I have strong feelings about this best supporting <laughs> actress situation, but I do, and here it is. So Linda Blair was nominated for best supporting actress for this movie. And she was nominated before it came out that uh, classic Hollywood actress and Best Supporting Actress winner Mercedes McCambridge had done all of the voice work for Possessed Reagan. And the level of work that this woman did uh, to get this voice. Now, actually, I I took some screenshots from the IMDb trivia, if you'll indulge me. Um, Now, because... Are you, does that name ring a bell, Mercedes McCambridge? Have you ever heard of her? Nope, not at all, actually. Well, this is a great introduction to her, I think. So listen to this. Actress Mercedes McCambridge, who provided the voice of the demon, insisted on swallowing raw eggs and chain smoking to alter her vocalizations. The actress who had problems with alcohol abuse in the past furthermore wanted to drink whiskey as she knew alcohol would distort her voice even more and create the crazed state of mind of the character. As she was giving up sobriety, she insisted that her priest be present to counsel her during the recording process. At William Friedkin's direction, McCambridge was also bound to a chair with pieces of a torn sheet at her neck, arms, wrists, legs, and feet to get a more realistic sound of the demon struggling against its restraints. McCambridge later recalled the experience as one of horrific rage, while Friedkin admitted that her performance, as well as the extremes which the actress put herself through to gain authenticity, terrifies the director to this day. This was probably the reason why Friedkin declined to call back McCambridge to provide the demon's voice for the film's TV version, instead deciding to do the voice himself. So, whoa, yeah. So, my sense because I think you bring up a really good point about the sound, and my sense is that this is another example, much like the movie Halloween and Psycho, where you know, in the case of Psycho and Halloween, a great score elevates a good movie. I Mm -hmm. think in this case, a great sound and audio work is elevating, including the score is elevating a very good movie. And I think a huge portion of that is Mercedes McCambridge's voice work. And Mm -hmm. furthermore, and I know I've just been belaboring this there. I found a clip on YouTube of a scene of father Karras talking to possessed Reagan with Linda Blair's own voice, including the lines like, you know, it's a great day for an exorcism and we've got, I've got your mother in here. Do you want to leave a message? And all of those like iconic lines, but it's Linda Blair saying them versus Mercedes McCambridge. And I got to tell you, I don't think this movie would be any of what people consider it today if it wasn't for 
you know, uh, I don't know what a nickname for Mercedes, for Sadie McCambridge. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating, first of all. I, okay, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, you, that's, was, that's are, are plenty, still, yes. Yeah, I okay, think that, okay. you know, uh, I, I, um, I abscond my time. I don't abscond it. I relinquish my time. Sure, sure. Um, I agree. I, I don't know how that even fits into, because I don't even know like another Oscar nomination that has, you know, the only other thing I could sort of relate that to is like, it's not a, vo- a vocal thing, but like prosthetics or makeup, mm-hmm. like um, Charlize Theron in Monster or, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of like even Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady with like the teeth mm-hmm. and... Uh, who's that other guy that won for playing Winston Churchill not too long ago? Um, he is oh god, oh, Gary Oldman. Gary, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Yep. Yes, because that was transformation. Huge Absolutely transformation. And like, yes, the, uh, there's a category for that, but there isn't a category for voiceover, which I still think is crazy, considering they have a category for best animated film. Mm-hmm. Why don't you have best animated? F- like just actor and actress. Yeah, I like, mean voice work, you know? Like I just yes. I think that there is you know, anyone who works in, you know, anime or animated, you know, shows or whatever, you know, or does any mm-hmm. kind of voice work, voice voice work, talk about voice work. Voice work. I don't know why that I I turned into a horse on that. Um voice. I think can account to, you know, attest to attest to how important it is. And I think The Exorcist is like the absolutely prime example of the power of of voice work and how much of that goes into a performance because yeah i mean linda blair no shade physically a profoundly demanding job and i think she yes, deserves yes, a yes. lot of credit for it and there's a real charm to her when she's not possessed i think it's a good performance yeah. but i think what makes reagan an oscar nominated performance is like not 50-50 you know linda linda and sadie i think it is like I don't know, some other imbalanced equation that's more in Mercedes McCambridge's favor. I agree. I that's that is tricky because, mm-hmm. you know, what if she would have won? Yeah. Or, you know, I I just don't I I will say this as you're reading to what she like the lengths that she went to, it's probably it's like the method acting like <laughs> equivalent of voice work, you know totally. what I mean? Like but you you don't I'm like, I always think of that one quote who I can never remember who it's from. It's like an old man like that just says like, or you can just act. Yeah. Was it you who told me that? Yeah. As opposed to like mm-hmm. running a marathon and then doing a scene like you can just act like you don't have to or find a find Elaine Stritch. You know, Elaine Stritch could have did all that. Right. <laughs> oh, I know. I, mean? like, I know. Yeah. That was that was Laurence Olivier talking to Dustin Hoffman about Marathon yes. Man. Yeah. And thank I you, mean, thank you. Yeah. You, you hear that so often. I mean, I feel like there was... um I think Jason Miller, uh, who plays Father Karras, I think there was a mm-hmm. similar, like, he and William Friedkin kind of got into it because, I guess, to get a certain reaction out of him, William Friedkin, like, and this is kind of a, a sore topic nowadays, but, like, shot a gun near his ear Whoa. to, like, get a startled reaction out of him. I, I think that there's so much, there's so many examples of that, of, like, you know, I, there was someone else I think we were talking about recently where, uh, oh, oh, it's Shelley Duvall in The Shining, where like she was like, "I'm yes. an actress. You don't have to terrorize me to literally to get the you know the, the reaction you want. I could probably get there on my own." And I, you know, um, I mean, I think with The Exorcist, Linda Blair, to her credit, 
I think, was put through real hell in terms of having to be in that refrigerated room all the time. Oh, and, geez. you know, back injury. I think she and Ellen Burstyn got back injuries from some of those scenes. Does that translate into an Oscar? No, but I guess it's just qualifying that, like, I'm not saying Linda Blair didn't work really hard in this role, and that makeup yep. is miserable, but um, performance-wise, I... I, it's kind of like on Drag Race when when a queen has a lot of makeup on or like prosthetics on, and then when they have to lip sync, you can't really see all the nuances. I yeah. feel like that started to happen here with Reagan, where the nuances were in the line delivery and not in the face or the body. You know? Yeah, and that's all that I mean. That is, oh gosh, I don't even know what to add to that. Like, because it just seems unfair. Um, and yeah. I, I, I would be interested to know, like, you know, listeners out there, is there any other like example of this, too? Because I just feel like it's such an outlier to an Oscar nominated performance where it's just like, uh, you know, m- maybe if um, I mean, I'll say this, uh, you know, we're going to talk about it on the best after best supporting after show. But like uh, West Side Story, thinking of Rita Moreno, like she didn't sing her stuff in West Side Story. Yeah, um, yeah. And neither did, you know, Marnie Nixon did the stuff for um, Natalie Wood. So that's probably the closest thing that I can think of. Absolutely. I think that's the spot on. I think that's exactly it. Is like, you know, a musical where someone is not singing, you know, their own part. It's like, okay, well, at what point, how much credit are we giving them then, you know? Uh, yeah. For the overall think, performance, yeah. Yes, yeah. And I, I luckily for, you know, the role of Anita, like there's a, there's a lot to... There's, mm-hmm. there's other, you know, there's so much more to sort of supplement that, but I guess that is the only thing that I can really think of off the top of my head, especially like a win too, like she won for it. Yeah. So. Um, well, certainly I think we'll have a lot more to say about Rita in the after we show. Will. I, you know, you know, uh, just a girl who decided to go Yeah. For it. We're going to have just a, a conversation <laughs> that just decides to go for it. Um, that might be the episode title. Yeah, I think, I think so. <laughs> just a conversation that decided to go for it. So stupid. <laughs> just a podcast. Just a podcast that decided to go for it a Rita Moreno (laughs) podcast (laughs) she's a legend well all that being said I think as I've been belaboring this point about how uh, Linda Blair shouldn't have been nominated potentially for an Oscar uh, it's worth mentioning just who was nominated and who did win that year in that role both she and Ellen were nominated Ellen lost to Glenda Jackson in A Touch of Class and Mm -hmm. uh, was nominated alongside Barbara Streisand for The Way We Were uh, Joanne Woodward and Marsha Mason. In supporting role, Linda Act- Linda Actress. Linda Actress was the best Blair in a supporting role nomination. <laughs> um, actually, That's good. <laughs> uh, this is interesting. It's in, uh, in terms of, and I haven't seen this movie. I just know this movie, Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. Joanne Woodward was nominated for Best Actress. Sylvia Sidney was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, playing her mother. So just another mother-daughter pairing. And then Candy Clark was nominated for American Graffiti. And then both Madeline Kahn and Tatum O'Neill were nominated for Paper Moon. And Tatum O'Neill won mm. at the age of 10. So there you go. Uh, you know, and we, I don't think we've ever talked about Paper Moon in any way on this we podcast. Haven't. No. Um, I haven't seen it, so that might be part of the reason why. 
Yeah, I think of like the piano I've never seen, like another sort of, uh-huh. which is crazy. I feel like everyone's like, gasp. Oh. That's that's my favorite party trick is just telling people movies I haven't seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And getting a rise out of them all. Right, right. Like how, you know, even think, like, what, what could I say? What would be, what would really upset this party yes. tonight? It's like, oh, you know, I've never seen a single Star Wars glasses yes. drop nacho cheese dip spills on the floor who knows why yeah um <laughs> i think the biggest reaction i've ever got was when i said i didn't see the movie beaches and i still haven't seen it i still haven't and seen it either interesting okay fuck beaches i mean i'm sure fuck it's bae. great fuck beaches yeah i'm sure it's great <laughs> but uh, yeah it's one of those movies yeah. right? it's like it's in the catalog but like I know it's great. I don't want to cry, but I love crying. So there's that too. But uh, yeah, I know people are, you know, beside themselves right now. But I, I do love that. I, anyway. Yeah, Beaches, you know, I realize that there's probably a lot of reasons to watch Beaches. I think for anyone listening, um, oh, okay, I see. Because my question was going to be, what is Lainey Kazan's role in the movie? But I see she's CeCe Bloom's mother. So... Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like, why should I watch this movie? What's our in? What's our yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Is it Lainey Kazan? You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I don't think it's Mayim Bialik. Yeah. Here's another thing I always confuse about this movie. And tell me, I have always thought, and maybe, no, I have always thought that the young Cece in Beaches was played by Sarah Jessica Parker. She's not. Oh, but it is. It's my Bialik. So who the hell I was gonna say, yeah. is Sarah Jessica Parker playing a young, plucky oh, version, version of, of I'm going to look it up now. I can see why you could right? make that association, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, And I think age-wise, because Beaches came out in 1988, and I think around that time, yeah, she was in... When was she in Girls Just Want to Have Fun? She may have been a little old for the role at that point. She may have not been 11. Mm. So let's see. She was in Girls Just Want to Have Fun. She was in Footloose, which I had not seen. Maybe I'm thinking of Square Pegs, you know? Maybe. I don't know why. Maybe I'm thinking <laughs> of Square Pegs. Anyway, this has nothing to do with The Exorcist. You know what else I want to talk about in The Exorcist? Uh, and tell me if there's something you want to talk about more than The Exorcist. Yeah. I would love to talk about the music for a second. Sure. Now that I've railed against Linda Blair and her nomination, and I hope she hears this. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> Were you, because I feel like that was one of the things I knew about The Exorcist before seeing it was the Tubular Bells music, you know, the theme. Had you heard that before seeing the movie? Were you familiar with that music? No, and it's really funny you're talking about it because I, I don't remember any of the music in this movie and I just watched it last night. It wasn't, it didn't even like, is it is it known for being like a really well-known score mm-hmm. yeah so and it's okay and it's, it's interesting because the exorcist is not it's kind of like the shining it's not one you know composer doing the score it's all of these other like curated classical pieces and like uh so tubular bells was like a you know i don't know what genre you would consider it but it was not a movie soundtrack thing um it, you know, it wasn't written for a movie. It was just written for an album. And then I don't remember who had listened to it. I guess the director and was like, oh, I love this. I want this to be in the movie. And as a as a music appropriated for a movie, it's perfect. It's so good. It's worth a re-listen after we record. But the thing for anyone who does remember them, and you not remembering it is a good point. My One of my 
problems with The Exorcist is for such a great musical cue, they use it so poorly in the movie. So it doesn't mm. surprise me that you don't remember it at all. Yeah, I hate that I'm putting like a stop to the conversation. I, I, I don't know why. Like with Carrie, it's just there. It like starts and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it is. I don't know. I don't know. It, I guess it didn't have as big of an impact on me, but I, I feel bad that it didn't now. I feel like I should like, <laughs> like, let's pause and listen to it. And then, yeah, uh, and then we had this conversation over again. No, no, no. I think it's, I, I don't think you're putting the conversation to a halt. I think you're just like, supporting this point that like for such great music of like we have to have this as the main theme for the exorcist it's kind of like you know psycho is a great example of there was so much intentional music placement that like that score couldn't help but be remembered whereas i feel like it's an easter egg hunt and the exorcist of when they use this music it's uh it's so so actually you not remembering it it's i think only only corroborating this point that like they don't sure. use it in a way that you remember it and appreciate it. Yeah, I'm wondering what kind of like what would I be looking for if I was scoring The Exorcist? Like I don't know if it would be like these big just sort of like ah gosh, like these big sort of like I picture a lot of like symbols just like crashing, but I don't know because it's like I think about the stuff before everything goes to shit. And then I think of like, I I think I was just so amped up about everything else Mm -hmm. and like how sort of uneasy and scared I was that I forgot about the music. And maybe in some cases too, like that might be a good thing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. It's like, I'm not going to put this on again and watch it, but I I would be interested to go back and listen to like a YouTube video of that that score yeah you could just listen to the score yeah i think another score that i feel like i'd be interested to hear used in the exorcist is the score for the omen uh which i don't Mm. i'm obsessed with i don't know if you've heard that at all before but uh i it's it is probably what it's i think it won the oscar for best score but oh my god that would be my nomination for like oh use this for the exorcist because it's like a score at a 27 yeah, I think I would need that. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I would want to match the drama of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and that score has like more like, you know, to your point in earlier parts of this movie, it's obviously not as intense. And so there are, you know, those peaks and valleys in the omen. But oh, when the omen's got peaks, good golly, Miss Molly, she loses her wig. It's so good. <laughs> oh, it's it's so good. Oh, my God. Anyway. What else do you want to talk about with the with the Exorcist? I want to talk about Ellen. I I know that like you know this is the best supporting podcast, and I feel like we talked a little bit about Linda, but just just these moments. I mean, normally, like what I was kind of expecting. Again, this is my, with fresh eyes uh, when I watched it. Is that you know we would see some of uh, see her get emotional maybe once if we're lucky twice, but really there were plenty of scenes to pick from. Like her in that park with that, as we would call it, a babushka. Oh um, yeah, the glasses. And, and like the sunglasses. The way I mean, I think Ellen Burstyn is one of my top three favorite criers. Like the mm-hmm. way that her voice goes, she's like, "It's my daughter." Or does she say daughter or child? It's my, or little, it's my girl. little girl. It's That's my little a, girl. It's my little girl. Mm-hmm. The way that she like her jaw just sort of like melts, and like the way that she can. There's just like a specific quality of voice that she uses that she also has in like pieces of a woman. It is just so 
she just draws you right in. And I, I love that. Uh, yeah. I love her for that. Excuse me. There's like a back of the throat warble that happens where it gets a little shaky. Like yeah, this. she's she's swallowing. A yeah, lot she swallows instance. it yeah. and she's shake. She's shaking it like a like a you know when you when you're trying to train a dog. And I remember when I was a kid, this friend of my mom they had a dog, and I guess to whenever she would misbehave, they put a couple of nickels in an old Hawaiian punch can and shook it, and that <gasps> that I guess calmed her down. Or scared oh, her out of doing whatever she was doing. But that's what I think of now. Of like, that's how Ellen <laughs> Burstyn cries, as she puts a couple of nickels in a Hawaiian punch can and shakes it. Yeah. Gosh, that's <laughs> it's very specific. I yes, love that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm so glad we got to see it. We got to see, you know, it's frustration, it is anger, it is, um, you know, she's protect, she's wanting to find the answer and it takes her so long to get there. I, I do love that. That's like, even when she um, finally tracks down like father Karras, um, like he like, doesn't believe in it at first. He was like, well, it's still not grounds for an exorcism. I'm like, then what is it then? Yeah. That you see? Were you in the room? And like, that was my only complaint as far as like, like it, it took maybe a little bit too long. I wish he would have came in earlier, like as far as like all of these tests and like really putting her through the ringer um, of all those like scans and stuff like that. I just it's like this is not human what's happening to her. And it is very apparent. But you don't want to go there because you don't think that that's actually a thing. You don't want to believe that an exorcism is needed, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It was kind of, it got to a point where it was like, um, is anyone else seeing this girl? This is clearly not a lobe issue. But yeah. I, I do think there is something interesting of like, yeah, you, the idea in real life of going to the point of like, oh, this is something demonic. Like the the mindset you have to get into is so like you have to let go of everything you know about reality, you know? And so I, I appreciate how long it took. I guess to me, it was like the moment you see rig and the moment her head spins around 360 degrees, I, yeah. I think it's fair to say her lobes have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't stop <laughs> yeah. blaming the lobe, you know? Uh, and, and it's, I mean, that, that does raise, I guess, you know, I think we're kind of talking about here, like the one thing I'll forgive I think one thing I have to kind of forgive is that even though Reagan's physical body goes through so much torment, she is alive in the end. Like technically her neck should be yeah. snapped, you know? Yeah, that's true. So true. So I never, oh, I would have never even thought of that. Yeah. I've never quite understood how they explain that. Apparently in the book, it is described that Reagan's head turns almost 360 degrees looking over her shoulder, but not fully. And so I guess in the book, you know, they, it's kept in somewhat of the realm of reality and that like, well, it's not like she completely spun her head around, you know? Uh, yeah. But I mean, whatever. I, it, I don't understand how the good Lord works. So, uh, yeah. Which actually that brings up a question I'd love to ask you. Cause I, I feel like there, one of the things that jumped out to me, I think during the, like the, you know, uh, you know, the exorcism and the power of Christ compels you is I suddenly was like, I guess because they say the power of Christ compels you 14 times. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is such a... And I know they, they earn getting to this point, but like this is such a Christian movie. This is such a Christian-based mm -hmm. movie. This is like your the... She is possessed by the devil, and so the answer is Christianity. You know what I mean? And yeah. I... It, a, I thought, oh, so that's so interesting and specific, you know what I mean? Because it's like, 
I don't know, like, to me, the idea of the devil has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the, sure. Totally, like, just totally different concepts. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of applying one very specific idea to another one and saying that there's a correlation. My sense is that if there's some de- demonic possession, it doesn't care about Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? That's a that's just a belief system. Uh, you know, what if it's a, I don't know, uh, uh, some other kind of religion-based evil? You know what I mean? That's true. That's true. It doesn't have to be Christianity. I think it's just... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, that, that, I mean, my, my second question is more of like, cause I, I, you, you did, did you do a lot of Catholic school as well? Or you just have a lot of kind of going to church in your life? Yeah, sure. Um, let's get into it. Yeah. I was, uh, I was raised Catholic. I went to church every Sunday. I was an altar boy. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic. Same. Um, mm-hmm. so, and there was also, um, oh my gosh. So there was some of the mass was in Romanian. Oh, it was like it was like boring and dull and gray. There was no music. Um, it was just there were no hymns. It was just like what it was. Wow. And I, I just couldn't. I think you know. Besides, this is a whole other can of worms, of course. But like being gay and like my sort of reservations about religion and Catholicism and how that all relates, but. I just didn't understand why we were there. I was like, mm-hmm. why? What are we? What are we doing here? Especially my version of church, where there was no, uh, there was no joy. Like yeah. I, I, it's a trip to the DMV. Through, yeah, yeah. It was just like we're we're gathering here for an hour every Sunday to say the same thing in an almost like chant like fashion with no music and we just go home afterwards there wasn't you know the sermons were fine but i've been to like i've actually because of my degree and like having church jobs and like singing at i shouldn't say many different kinds of church like episcopal and catholic were the two that i really would get jobs in the most because they had the most music um but uh it's very interesting to kind of see you know differences and similarities but also like how uh, music really like brought this new level of like, oh, church can be cool if you're like in the choir, but it's still church at the same time. So that's those are my opening thoughts. Uh, church is fine. Yeah, I I haven't gone in forever. Like once I was an adult, I was like, I'm not really gonna go to church unless I'm getting paid to sing. So that's sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't thoughts. get into the pew for less than ten thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, exactly. So I guess my question is, I mean, I feel like having there were there were moments in this movie where I was like, I feel like I've been programmed to clutch my pearls a little bit right now, and I don't know why. Like having that those Catholic roots. I think mm-hmm. affects the viewing of the exorcist. I don't know how, but I remember, I definitely felt like, I don't know. There was like a, I think whenever it comes to like seeing priests and church stuff, whatever it's, it's in the, I guess in the back of my mind, maybe because of the Catholic school, I'm always paying attention to like, Ooh, are we following the rules? Are you allowed to do that? Like when they're drinking yes. in father Karras's room, I was like, is that okay? Is that allowed? And yes, I don't know. There's something about watching this movie while having a, your own conflicted feelings about Christianity to see a movie that both shows someone having a conflict of faith and also shows faith as the solution or God as the solution or the Bible as a solution, you know? Yeah. I mean, 
it's kind of like the it's like it's the only solution because that's what I guess it's the direct opposite of it. It's like devil and Jesus. Like you said, it's like you're automatically programmed to think that it's the only thing that can, that can combat it, I guess. Cuz who else who else would you call? I mean, unless you like went to like a Buddhist or like a, a rabbi or something mm-hmm. like that, but it's for some reason Christianity is top dog and that that is the only way to to go to fight this, I guess. Yeah, I you know, I think about like this, oh, this sounds so pretentious, but it's just a, an example that I got to see up close. But like when I went to Peru and I did ayahuasca and all that, and there's shamans involved and all that, and there's a whole spirituality to all of that that like has nothing to do with Christianity. And yet I thought, I, I, I would imagine somewhere in that belief system is a, you know, how to deal with, you know, dark energies and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like some variation of an exorcism that has nothing to do with the power of Christ. And I think that, I mean, there's so many exorcism stories and movies out there, but I think that is really interesting to me is an exorcism of, I guess, an agnostic evil, you know, where like Mm. there is no such thing as the power of Christ. I'm fucking evil. You know what I mean? Like that's nothing. Holy water, tap water. It's all wet to me, baby. You know? Yeah. What? Because really, if we're really thinking about this, everything that they like, they tried the older priest and, you know, Father Karras is like nothing really worked. That's true, though. Until he confronted and was like holding on to Reagan and said, come into me. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only, that's the only reason why it's that she was let go. Yeah. It wasn't anything they did. It wasn't any ritual. It was just like, don't choose her, choose me. And I'm going to, yeah, that's interesting that like ultimately, well, they, they landed on religion or a spiritual solution as a solution. It doesn't work. And in fact, father, uh, I, for the longest time, I have thought it was Father Merrick. It's not. It's Father Merrin. Uh, oh yeah, that, is such, that that was what it was. That, Sorry, go ahead. No, that okay. that is such a, a a Mandela effect thing for me. I've always thought it was Father Merrick. I I'm not convinced that it's not Father <laughs> Merrick, and that IMDb and everyone else has it wrong. It's Father Merrick, sure. right? It's always been Merrick. Anyway, he dies. It, you know, Reagan yes. kills him, and I think and you don't know how. No, you don't know how, but I think what I because she kills that guy, uh, Burke. Is that his name? Yes. Um, and yes. I think Burke was the one to leave the crucifix by her bed. And so yep. I think Reagan, you know, slash the devil is killing anybody who tried to get too close to intervene and, uh, and try to, like, you know, save her. And so in the end, yeah, the only way to end this is not – there's no – you can't kill it. You can't, you can't exercise it without – I guess, killing the vessel. But then I also kind of feel like, well, Father Karras died, but that evil will just find another host eventually, you know? That's my question, too. Yes. Okay, so Marin was the thing that scared the shit out of me when when Father Marin came in and then from upstairs, they were like, Marin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. That's where I was yes. like, that's where I like threw my wine across the room as yeah. I was watching it, you know? But um, yes, I thought the same thing. I was like, him killing himself isn't, it gets it out of the house. It does. But where is it going? It, it actually leaves, like, the door open for, like, the sequel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, who's it going to get next? Um, but well, it didn't yeah. really... Go ahead. Oh, go no, I was, was going to say, just to that point, he kills himself, which is considered a mortal sin. 
Yeah. I think there's so much analysis of this movie that has probably dug into all those nuances. And I thought, you know, that's not who we are. We're an actress podcast and occasionally yeah. actors. We don't need to understand all of the the meaning of the exorcist. I just want to talk about Ellen Burstyn talking through tears and getting her face jammed in Linda Blair's bloody crotch. I mean, that's what yes. I'm here to talk about. Yeah, there was another scene with um, Ellen Burstyn in the basement with Father Karras that she like slams the table not once but twice and afterwards it it looks like she's gonna like it looks like she had more to say Mm. or that she was gonna like lunge at him and it was so subtle and i loved it and i can't even remember like what was being said but it was like maybe the um maybe when she was ironing down there in the basement i can't remember like because he was poking around and she just like she slaps and i maybe she slaps once and then considers like lunging and then she just ends up hitting the table again i loved it yeah i i don't remember that i'll have to rewatch i mean that's okay i might rewatch that scene i might rewatch you know every once in a while just for fun put a little ellen on but uh i do appreciate how you know in the first half of the movie she's got so much fight in her you know and i kept thinking about yes of course tony clinton hereditary because i'm always thinking about tony clinton hereditary and if something (laughs) else manages to you know ride parallel to those thoughts that's great and it's interesting how in Hereditary, you know, Tony Collette's character Annie just like spirals and spirals and spirals and just gets crazier and and more kind of, you know, hysterical about it all, which I love and she should have gotten an Oscar for it. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel like it's interesting how in the second half of the movie or the last third of the movie, the fight that gets knocked out of Chris, where in a way that I believe of like I just I have I have been just. I'm, I, there's nothing I as this as this person's mother can do, and yep. uh, and I think it's it's a real challenge in her performance to as the movie moves closer to the climax for her performance to get quieter instead of more hysterical. You know? Yeah, I think once she realizes what it is, then she could finally. I, I almost said relax, but it's not. It's like she's still, but like she knows that she can't do anything anymore and that these are the only two men that can help her. Well, it's worth mentioning. I don't I don't know if this will happen, but there is apparently there is another Exorcist movie in pre-production that oh. will include Ellen Burstyn coming back as Chris, of course. Uh, it's a sequel to the 1973 film about a 12-year-old girl who is possessed by a mysterious demonic entity forcing her mother to seek the help of two priests to save her and apparently the help of poor Chris McNeil, who at this point would be in her 80s, you know? Sure. Um, but fun fact, one of the co-stars of this new Exorcist will be Leslie Odom Jr., Whoa. Yeah. So things. He's getting work. Yeah. Really making it happen. Yeah. Come on, Leslie. Uh, You know, you know, it it, people might say your name is Leslie and you're a man in Hollywood. You got to change your name to, you know, Rock Dixon. It's like, fuck that. I'm Leslie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I remember what I was going to say before. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, But we'll go back to the sequel unless there's more. There's not much else about it. I just wanted to mention as we were talking about poor Chris McNeil, I think my my train of thought was like for everything this woman goes through in this movie and doesn't know what to do about it. I don't know what you're doing calling the lady, you know, 50 years later and saying, hey, I have a question, you know? 
Yes. Yeah. Leave her alone, you know? I know. It's like Sydney Prescott. I'm like, exactly. the girl's been through enough. Exactly. At some point, can't she just be like, I tap out, guys. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move to the Netherlands where none of this exists. Exactly. And <laughs> you I'm just, know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to get a jitterbug and only two people are going to have my phone number. Yeah. And I'm going to change my name. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sorry. And you were going to say... No, it's okay. Um, I, I think just to how um, in, in the midst of, uh, you know, Ellen and, and Chris's character, like how, how she's getting more, um, you know, reserved and, and smaller, like you said, too. It's so it's like the situation is so normalized. I, I think of like those scenes in Poltergeist where they're just like downstairs and they're waiting. Yep. And like, but they're so used to the chaos, like things are spinning around the room and the bed shaking, but like she's seen it all at this point too. So like, there's nothing that's going to surprise or shock her at this point too. And I just, I, it would have never worked within the movie, but I'm so surprised that like none of the press was involved or, mm. but I guess they just kept it under, under wraps. Like it was just those two priests. Like they didn't have backup. They didn't call for like 10 other priests to like really <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I just felt like they needed more people. That's to interesting. Help. The idea of like, and thinking of poltergeist as well, the idea of like when or how the press gets, you know, notified and gets involved. What that makes me think of is, uh, you know, we did whatever a few weeks ago we did Misery uh, on All Right Mary, and then I and I'd never yeah. read the book, but a, you know, a friend of mine had read the book, and he said, "Oh, the and have you have you seen the movie Misery? No, no. I haven't. I haven't. Oh. Yeah, you another gasp. Yeah, another well, gasp. yeah, big gasps. The you know nacho cheese dip and all that. But you don't like when people are like kidnapped and housebound and things like that. That gives you anxiety, yeah. right? Yeah. I think this is like the, like the, I'll call it like the 70s clause, the 70s or earlier, mm -hmm. that I'm able to get past it because it's not that it's inauthentic because, I mean, Kathy Bates won an Oscar for it too, but like, I just feel like I'm, it's a safer time. It, like, I feel like anything after like, to, you know, the year 2000, it just feels so real that I don't love it. Yeah. Like, well, this, um, this falls a little yeah. bit in a gap in between that. It's 1990. Okay. Is that okay? <laughs> Really? Yeah. Why do I feel that that movie feels like so seventies to me? Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. I mean, that's so funny. The idea of I mean, there were definitely similar <laughs> movies in the seventies, but I love the idea. I mean, oh god, you know, James Caan was an actor in the seventies. Uh, you know, no, I mean, it's it's kind that you're trying to justify it, but I just I my timeline was off. Yeah, I 90s. mean, nineties, yeah, nineteen nineties. I was like, well, I would say it's a it's a great movie and Kathy Bates is incredible in it. What is great about the movie is that it is a very limited cast of people. Like it, for the most part, it is just um, Kathy Bates and James Conn's character, you know, but in yeah. the book, so his character is this like best-selling author who, do you know the story about he, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's seen yeah I know the broad car stories, accident. Yeah. She finds him. She's a super fan. He's housebound, blah, blah, blah in her cabin. And so, in the book, apparently, eventually the, the press finds out about this. And eventually in the book, it's like her, her cabin is surrounded by the press and Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Tonight is there. And, and there's all these people oh. like just hanging out on vans and trying to get a, a you know. A, and so it kind of takes away all of the, the, the drama of this guy being in the middle of, you know, nowhere with this crazy person. Um, and it just takes all of the the you know power of that away. I think that that is an example of like 
kind of like movies today, if you can get the cell phone out of the equation, you can tell a more interesting story. And I think if you can get the press and news and all of that out of the conversation, it it makes it more interesting in general in these kind of stories. Yeah, but the ca- uh, maybe an asterisk next to that for Gale Weathers. We'll leave Gale in. You know sure. what I mean? Sure, that, that, that's <laughs> need, certainly part. She's the yeah. kind of press we want. Yes, but yeah. I, I agree totally. Like, it almost seems like I want to say, like Stephen, what were you thinking? You know what I mean? If you when you're writing that book, because it just mm-hmm. seems like such an obvious choice that it's going to add so much more texture to like that isolating feeling uh, or the feeling of isolation that, that there's no hope or no end in sight. And I feel like Stephen King, I mean, I think the answer to that question, it I think chart it back to where he was on his uh, sobriety journey. Sure. To, uh, yeah, so it's charting, you know, explaining some of these books. Uh, but I just, yeah, I'm not coming for Stephen King. No, I, it's just interesting. It's interesting that he wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. I have the same thought. I was like, well, that sounds ter- like it, it, made me not want to read the book at all. Um, and mm-hmm. in the movie, there is a, a supporting character played by Frances Sternhagen, and she's not even in the fucking book, so why read it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's, that's all, you know, besides the point. There is, in fact, speaking of sequels and continuing the story, there is, in fact, there are two, I guess some people would say there's, you know, maybe two sequels and a prequel, um, but there are two sequels to The Exorcist. The Exorcist, The Heretic, The Exorcist 2, I've seen hmm. bits and pieces of. And Ellen Burstyn does not appear in the sequel. Uh, yeah. Linda Blair does, as well as Kitty Wynn, who played Sharon, um, who we haven't really talked about. But, oh, you know, best supporting yeah, Sharon. Sharon. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and and it's a disaster. It's, it's an absolute disaster of a movie. Sure. Um, I've only seen it in pieces. And I think when I was a kid, it was on the Spanish channel. It was on like Telemundo. And the end of The Exorcist 2 is so like, you can barely make sense of what's going on. And so Mm. so being a kid, watching that ending and all the dialogue was in Spanish, I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. And you know that's true. Yeah, so it almost like kind of added to of like, what is happening? No element of this can I understand, you know? Um, yeah, that would be hard. Yeah. And then The Exorcist 3 is, I've never seen, but people say it's really scary. The connection that I can make, the absolutely, you know, unimportant connection is that in The Exorcist 3, there is a supporting role of the detective's wife, played by Zora Lampert, who is the star of Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is one of my favorite movies. And in the original uh, Exorcist, one of Reagan's doctor, Dr. Klein, is played by Barton Heyman, who plays Jessica's husband in Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a cool connection. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I got for you. That's all you got. That's all I, like I got. That. Yeah. The, the one other quote that I, I just, uh, before we, you know, wrap things up here, but the one quote that I never knew was from the exorcist is your mother su- uh, sucks cocks in hell and it's and now i get that drag race reference oh. i never knew it after all of these years your mother darns socks in hell i yeah you know, i i just was that season six that was darian uh-huh. lake uh-huh. and yeah yeah i was like oh that's 
That's so good. Yeah, it was Darian. <laughs> I just like, yeah, it was Darian. I couldn't believe I didn't know that. I know, I know. I love it. It's Darian Lake's, yeah, your mother's darn socks in hell. And then Vivacious was your mother scrubs docks in hell, I think was the other one. Ah, uh, yes, um, yes. So, yeah, yes. that comes from The Exorcist. I mean, I think that that would be maybe my final note on this is as unsettling as The Exorcist is and has, you know, kind of classic and renowned it is i think it's worth at least also acknowledging that like especially the devil you know mercedes mccambridge's performance the camp mm-hmm. quality of the exorcist oh yeah i mean she's a little you know she's a little spitfire i just it, it's i don't know that there is a um kind of a, a spoof called repossessed that came out in 1990 i think with okay. Linda Blair, Linda Blair plays a woman who becomes possessed. It's all a comedy, and I think Leslie Nielsen plays the priest, and it's awful. It's fucking awful. Jeez. Linda Blair's career post The Exorcist is like it, it just it, duds, duds upon duds that uh, I just can't understand. Yeah. Just duds on duds. I feel like, yeah, I feel like she goes to like oh, I don't know what you would even call them, like horror conventions. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I'm sure she does really well there. I would want to see her. You know what I mean? But um. I don't know what 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 could she have done after this. I guess I guess she was just riding the wave. Why not? Might but as still. well. I mean, there is yeah. a there is a slasher from the '80s called Hell Night that I do enjoy that she is the star in. So, okay. for anyone looking for a horror movie, uh, that one's a fun one. There's another one, another horror movie called Grotesque from 1988 that I don't recommend. It was not good. So, if anyone's looking to extend their Linda Blair viewing. I'm looking through IMDb. I don't think there's anything else here. Mm. She was in Airport 75, but <laughs> we didn't nice. talk about that. We did not. Um, but anyway, that those are my thoughts. Any other any other thoughts or feelings before we uh, blast this review back to hell? <laughs> yeah, I know. No, uh, other than the fact that I will never be purchasing a Ouija board. I will never have one in my house. And I remember, like, that was a thing. Like, I feel like really, truly people... I'm so f- interested in, like, not to open up this can of worms, but, like, who decided that that was a good idea? You know what I mean? How was that marketed back in the day? I don't... I feel like... I don't know where I'm getting these these thoughts from. Maybe the same place where I thought his name was Father Merrick, but... I feel like I saw a documentary or something about Ouija boards and like how they became a thing and how they became something that you could buy at Kmart. Yeah. But it just seems like it shouldn't be available. (laughs) Yeah. And now, and here's the thing is I, I've talked about this with Johnny. I, I go into Ouija boards wanting to believe I go into it being open. I want it to happen. And Johnny has admitted, he's like, Oh, I am always the person moving the thing. And I was like, you're, you're, you're evil. That's evil. That's like, that's so, uh, because I guess it's just like better than everyone just sitting around waiting for something to happen. But I'm like, yeah, that's true. But I, I just want to believe, I want to believe that something can happen. I do think it's weird that i have to buy it from toys r us to contact i i feel like if i wanted to contact spirits i would probably find another way other than a board game but yeah i also kind of love that idea that something as benign as like a board game at a toys r us could put you in touch with the undead or the afterlife so it's not the undead but the just the plain dead you know the dead the dead i think that's i mean like for the occult to be buried, you know, burying the lead, so to speak, for the a tool of the occult to be in a toy store, ugh, I fucking love it. Yeah, 
It's great. It's great. Ugh. But yeah, that's, I mean, I think I've exercised ah! the demons. <laughs> like oh, it is, yeah. I feel good. I feel good about this. Um, well, that's good because you're being played off right now. In fact, we both are. Ugh. We're both being played off. Uh, so as uh, as we are being played off, where can folks find more of you? They can find me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which comes out every Thursday, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast. And they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kuchanov. How about you? Well, you can find me on All Right Mary talking about Dragula or Drag Race UK or Canada's Drag Race or oh, like just so many episodes and so many things this month yeah. and this year. You can find me on In the Details, a celebration of nuance. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And of course, you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA Pod. Or you can send us an email at thebsapod at gmail.com. Well, look at all those peeled peepers. That's because everybody knows there's an after show coming out on Friday in which we will have so much to discuss. I have a list. You have a list. It's gonna be. Uh, it, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be listy. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk. Me about all the things. Yeah. Well, uh, we won't have to, but they will. We'll see you all tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and that, as they say, is that. <laughs>